may be seated. For our third time of prayer, we're going to look at Psalm 27, and we're going to have kind of an extended meditation on Psalm 27. It's this powerful and beautiful psalm that really is the Bible's antidote to anxiety. So it's, it's your strategy, your game plan for how you can make war on worry. And so it's the strategy for how you deal with fears and anxieties in any stage, in any situation in your life. And what's amazing, if you have this stable and secure and worked into your heart, you can withstand anything. And uh, the Psalms are such a beautiful, important, potent, powerful place to go for uh, any season because what they do is they give voice to the full range of human experiences and the full range of human emotions. So they give voice to all of our joys and sorrows, all of our hopes, all of our fears, give voice to times when we're confident and then times when we doubt. They give voice to moments of victory and then seeming defeat. But the way they work is you have to pray them into your heart and then practice them in your life. That's how they change you. They don't change you just by kind of reading them or hearing them or even repeating them. You have to pray them into your heart and then practice them in your life. And as you do that, you enter into the presence of the Lord. And it changes you. So this is, this is help. Psalm 27 is help to deal with fear. And so what I want to do is spend the next you know, week, two weeks, and kind of let this be the central place that your mind goes to interpret and filter what happens in the world. So let's, let's read it. Verse 1. This is the theme. This is the banner. This is where he wants all of us to be, where we can confidently say, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? But then in verse 2, he's going to move, and now he's going to move into probably a little more hypothetical trouble. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war arrives against me, yet I will be confident. And then why? Where does that confidence come from? Where does the hope, where does the courage, the strength? Verse 4 through 6, in essence, he kind of moves up into heaven. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. And then in verse 7 now, so he's in heaven here and confident and secure and strong, but then now he's coming back down to earth. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face, and my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. And then now he moves into even more difficulty. And, and he's been abandoned. For my father and mother have forsaken me. But the Lord will take me in. And then now 
How is he going to respond? Teach me your ways, O Lord, and lead me on the level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have arisen against me, and they breathe out violence. But I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And so this is, this is David's strategy that he's given us for how we can make war on our worry. And one of the things I find so fascinating is notice how different this is from the common worldly strategies for dealing with worry and anxiety. There's no um, kind of put your head in the clouds, pretend like everything is just going to be all right, and just kind of whistle along. I mean, th there's brutal honesty here. He's looking at things as they really are. It's like the line from Macbeth where each new mourn, new widows howl, new orphans cry, new sorrows strike. It's like that's, that's how life is. And it's one of those kind of peculiar, we're kind of talking this week about how it's kind of this odd tension that life is mixed between... Um, like yesterday, I had the girls at the park, and they were running around playing with all their friends, and it was this beautiful day, and my oldest just kind of came running over and kind of flopped down and said, oh, I love living in Florida. <laughs> I'm like, so do I. I mean, isn't it just beautiful? And you're like, you know, on one hand, like, the world is beautiful, and kids are playing, and there's joy, but then on the other hand, you know, they're kind of like this looming, and almost felt, felt guilty, like, should, like, should you be this happy at this moment? Well, Yes, because we live in this weird tension of knowing this is how life is, both filled with joy and filled with sorrow. But one of the things I love about the Bible is it doesn't hide this part from us. It holds it out to us. It says, look, David has things that he says, you know, my fear is real. My anxiety is present. My difficulties are all around me. But what makes this so powerful is this is, this is how life is. You can see David in verse 2, he's, he's kind of hemmed in. He's got uh, physical threat and enemies in verse 2. And then in verse 10, he's been abandoned by those who love him, father and mother. And in between these two things, notice what he brings. Verse 4, beauty. One thing I ask that I will seek to gaze upon the Lord and the beauty. He, he's actually, this psalm is bringing beauty into the middle of difficulty and uncertainty. And that's such a beautiful picture of the gift of the gospel. In one sense, what the church is meant to be, who we're meant to be. We're meant to bring life and beauty in the midst of difficulties and uncertainty. Jerry Colonia has a book called Reboot, and it's interesting because he says there's three kind of primal needs that every human has. Every human has the needs of safety, belonging, and love. And what's interesting in this psalm, David, is he's on the verge of losing all three. Safety, belonging, and love. And yet, the, the bass note that rumbles through this psalm is not one of fear and anxiety. It's one of confident hope. And trust. So how does he get there? That's the question. So let's just take a couple minutes and just kind of meditate on verse 4. Because I think verse 4 is really the secret to hope and confidence. Notice he says, there's one thing have I asked. One thing. Not a change in my circumstances. Not reconcile me to my family. Not break the, the back of my enemies. Not restore to me the kingdom I might lose and my position and my place and my security. One thing I have asked, 
that I may dwell in your house and gaze upon your beauty. See, his heart will not be afraid. You can see in verse 3, his heart is strong. His heart has confidence. And uh, what captures his heart and makes it stable is that he beholds beauty. And so this is the key. How do you get your heart to know these things? Because in one sense, like all of us believe it in our head, but how do we get it to move from our head to capture our heart? That's the great challenge of the Christian life. Get the things we know in our head to move, to capture our heart. And I think there's three verbs you can see in verse four, that these are the three things that, uh, that this is David's strategy to deal with anxiety. So I must dwell, gaze, and then inquire or seek. If you're going to have a heart that's strong and stable, first it's dwelling. So I would dwell in the house of the Lord. Now this is more than just like the physical house, but it's, it's not less. You know, David had the tabernacle. He dedicated his whole life to building a temple so people could enter into his house. But what this is, is an echo of or what he's foreshadowing is he's wanting, is there a way I can live in the unbroken presence of the Lord? Can I be in his presence? Then notice, can I see his face? That's the supreme blessing. One of the beautiful things we've seen, like as we go in men's and women's Bible studies, looking at Leviticus and how in the temple it's the light of the Lord shining on the bread that represents the Lord's people. There's a place at his table. His face shines upon them. That's what he wants. And that's really the secret to a fearless life, knowing that you're living under the smile of the Lord, that you've beheld him. It's kind of the way fear works. Like fear's dynamic. The, the fear dynamic is that your fears are directly proportional to the vulnerability of your loves. So the things you love or your perceived vulnerability. So uh, if fear is high, it's because there's something you love and cherish that you perceive to be highly vulnerable. If fear is low, it's because the things you love and cherish, you perceive that there is that they're not vulnerable. And so notice what he says, this one thing that I want, the thing that I want more than anything else, if I have that, then my fear can be low because the most precious thing in my life is secure. Now, on the one hand, you know, you think about just anxiety in general, a little bit is really good for you. I mean, in some sense, it's good to have certain anxieties about people in your life, you know, the finances you don't have, the health you might not have or need. Even Paul talks about, I have the daily anxiety of all the churches. But what's interesting here is even David says, notice in verse 10, if my father and mother forsake me, even if I'm forsaken here, I'm still okay. Because I have something so secure that I can't lose. And so really... Uh, you can think of what, what stimulates fear and anxiety. If there's anything that we say, if this forsakes me, then I will be utterly devastated. So if my father and mother, so for Dave, my father and mother could forsake me, but I'll still be okay because I have him. But you think, all right, if my spouse forsakes me, if my career forsakes me, if romance forsakes me, if my looks forsake me, if my nest egg forsakes me, if my children forsake me, if my wit and intelligence forsake me, will I still be okay? And what the gift that this psalm says, that's why this is this one thing. See, if I have this and secure here and can't lose this, then it relativizes everything else. The Lord will receive me. And unless you can kind of work that deep down into your soul, you'll always be unsteady, always be shaky. 
So how do we make God our one thing? I think the two other verbs really give us the key to that. It's gaze and then inquire or seek. Gaze. The goal of life is to gaze, to behold him, to see him. And I love this phrase. It's worth just really meditating. What is, he wants to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. So seeing him as beautiful. And you know, it's interesting. It's our hearts are just kind of tuned to respond to beauty. It awakens in, is something in us. It taps us into like some greater purpose for living and just changes us in a certain way. And it's gazing upon the beauty of the Lord. You know, John Piper says that no one goes to the Grand Canyon to increase their self-esteem. You know, he says, what well, as you go? He says, there's greater healing for the soul when you behold splendor. Then there's greater healing when you're beholding splendor than beholding self. And we all know it. We know the power of being drawn out of self to see something bigger, more beautiful, more glorious that takes us up. And that's the path. That's the first thing. Has to gaze at his beauty. And it's actually gazing at the beauty that empowers him to be confident. That gets him to the point, verse 14, where he say, I can wait on the Lord. I can be strong because I'm safe. I'm secure. I've seen this. I have this. I know I can be held. So one of the big questions is, well, how do you do it? How do you actually get, because in one sense, we're trying to gaze upon things we can't see. And so one of the things I want to do this week is just send out uh, a, a morning, just kind of meditation, because the way you do it, the way you gaze on the Lord is through med meditating on him. So there's kind of, Augustine said there's three kind of steps. The first thing is you have to know, you have to get things in your mind. Then the second step is you have to contemplate or behold it or think about it, turn it over in your mind. And then the first step is then you delight, you see. And so one of the ways you meditate, like on the Psalms, and there's kind of four questions you can ask that can really help you meditate to see his beauty. I'll post these online so you don't have to write them down, but you can look at each Psalm and say, all right, is there a promise here that I can claim in this Psalm? So you read through and you see certain promises like he will hide me, he will cover me, I will sing. So you can claim those promises. But then the second question you ask is, right, is there any sin here that I should confess? So, for example, you read in verse 14 where it says, wait on the Lord, be strong. And then you start, all right, what am I being impatient about? What am I being anxious about? And you kind of follow the breadcrumbs from your anxiety back to the idols in your heart. And you can confess those. And then the third thing you want to read through is you start asking, all right, where does Jesus fulfill those promises? So like we have a promise in verse 10 that the Lord will take me in, how do I know? And you start seeing how Jesus fulfills those and we can have confidence that the Lord will take us in because on the cross, he was cast out. And because he was cast out, we will be brought in. And when you start to see that worked all throughout the Psalms, it begins to tune your heart to see his beauty. And then of course you gotta ask, all right, is there one thing in here that I see that I should either start doing or stop doing? Because the way this works, you can't just kind of hear the psalm or even hear like a 30-minute sermon on it and think it's going to change you. It won't. The way it changes you is you got to work it into your heart, into your steps as you live uh, life. That's how you move into the presence. And that goes along with the third word, to inquire or to seek. Not just gaze at his beauty, but to seek him, to follow after him. You know, what the Bible does, it gives you a tremendous solution to anxiety and to fear, uh, to see him and to seek him. But the way it works is it's not an instantaneous solution. 
So they're like, there's no, there's no antidote for anxiety that you could pop in your mouth now and you'll be free from fear by Friday. I mean, that might make like a great marketing slogan, but it wouldn't work in reality. So the way it works is you have to work these things into your life in slow, steady, rhythmic believing, holding on to them. It's a habitual path. But David had, or we have something that David didn't have. Notice the thing that really captures David is he wants to be in the tent, the tabernacle, where the Lord dwells to see and experience and sing about the sacrifice that is laid on the altar. And so David only had a shadow, but he knew the beauty was in the sanctuary. The beauty was wrapped up in the sacrifice. And then we have the one to whom David and the shadows pointed. And one thing about Jesus is fascinating because Isaiah says that he had no natural physical beauty that would draw people to him. But by his, his character, his teaching, his life, he radiated this certain type of beauty that was just magnetic. And then you see even what he did on the cross as he took a, a, an instrument of Roman torture and turned it into the symbol of life and hope. And now people even wear like crosses as jewelry or decorate their homes with this thing that once was an instrument of torture. He's turned something that was ghastly and grotesque into something beautiful. And the beautiful thing about the gospel is that works into our heart that we see any situation, he can transform it like that. If he can turn something horrible like that into something beautiful, there's no limit to what he can do. There's a story about an English missionary named Alan Gardner who in 1851, he was on his way to South America to start a new mission. And uh, his ship was shipwrecked on a remote island and him and his companions tried as best they could to stay alive until somebody would come find them. But no one ever did. And finally, uh, he died far away from home, far away from his loved ones, family, dying of thirst, starvation, exposure. And then when they were finally found, uh, they discovered the body. They found right next to his body was his prayer journal that he had been keeping the whole time. And on the very last page, he had written out Psalm 34:10: The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall want no good thing. And right underneath those last words, he wrote, I am overwhelmed with a sense. What do you think he might have said? I'm overwhelmed with a sense of hunger. I'm overwhelmed with a sense of fear. I'm overwhelmed with a sense of thirst. He said, I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. Those are the last words he wrote. And you look at it and you think, well, how could he mean that? How could he be overwhelmed with a sense of God's goodness? I mean, wasn't he angry? Wasn't he mad? Wasn't he scared? And the way he could deal with that is because he had attained the one thing. He had beheld the Lord and that sustained him and held him in the midst of the terrible situation. So don't we see, we look at Psalm 27, this is our great hope to dwell, to gaze and to seek. And if we can work that into, the, into our heart and into our soul, there's no situation we can't endure. So let's pray. Lord, we praise you that you are our light and you are our salvation. Whom shall we fear? You are the stronghold of our life. 
of whom shall we be afraid? So Lord, we ask that you help us to work that reality deep into our souls. And whether we have any situation now that causes fear and anxiety, we know that one day soon we will be in situations that we will be very tempted to be afraid. So help us, give us stability and security. We ask that you help us to wait for the Lord, to be strong, and may our hearts be the kind of hearts that always take courage and take hope. Lord, we thank you for sending your son to provide us with this incredible image of beauty in the midst of the darkness. And now we ask that you would help us, empower us by your spirit to do the same, to bring peace in the midst of anxiety, to, bring, to be a non-anxious presence wherever we go. And this we ask in Christ's holy name. Amen.